Welcome everyone. My name is Tinashe. Uh, I'm from the People's Health Movement South Africa. I want to thank you all for making time of attending this important uh, workshop in these current difficult times. It is a, a workshop which is quite relevant uh, looking at the challenges that we are facing within our, our, our lives, our healthcare system, and within our country. It is quite important for you, CHW, you know more about the coronavirus vaccines. And I'm sure you are the first, you are the, both the first of the community and the first of our, our, our health system. You are the first step of our health system. So I'm sure you get a lot of questions being asked by a number of community members and asking you about the vaccine. So if you've got any other question, please feel free to send them in the chat, WhatsApp them to me or email them to me. I want to thank you again for sacrificing your two hours on a Saturday afternoon that you're supposed to be resting. I hope this workshop is going to be informative and worth your time. Thank you again. I'm going to hand over to James, who is going to start uh, with uh, the presentation on, on, on what is the vaccine. He's going to explain to us. Then after that, we're going to have Professor Leslie London. I'm going to ask you, comrades, to just uh, introduce yourself and tell the participants more about themselves, about yourself. The participants that we have here it's a, it, uh, CHWs who are from various provinces across South Africa. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, Tanasha. Thank you, everyone, for being here. It is obviously everyone has busy weeks and it's going into the December festive period. So I really appreciate everyone um, for joining. This is hopefully going to be a collaborative process in that if there are lots of questions and things that come out of this workshop, it's the first workshop of this kind that we've run around vaccines. We can use that to improve our materials and give you give you feedback. So hopefully, even if there is something that you don't know at the end of this discussion, it'll be a task for us to take on. And so in the, in the coming days and weeks, you'll have all of your questions answered. Um, also, a similar point, a lot of the, the discussion around vaccines is, is very new, um, particularly with regards to the COVID vaccine. Uh, and a lot of the, the answers are things that we're going to have to keep monitoring. It's a space we're going to have to keep monitoring in the coming months and years um, to make, oh, month and year, to make sure that if things are changing, that we can also give you that, that feedback. Thank you. This is just an uh, extension of, of the training that we've, we've been doing in communities, and it's great to be able to present to some people outside of the Western Cape as well. So just as to a bit of an outline of, of what we're going to talk about today, myself and Prof. London will be going through a number of things. I will start by, by talking about where we are now, about vaccines, what they are, helping people to understand what they are and how they work. And then looking at the COVID-19 vaccines on the horizon, what are some of the facts and the fiction? And then Prof. London will be speaking about barriers to access and equitable access to, to vaccines. Just as a, a, an obvious introduction that, that everyone is, is familiar with, South Africa has a, has a number of, of challenges that have been highlighted during uh, the COVID-19 response. Obviously, we, we are unique in a lot of ways, both in terms of 
the history of our country and the burden of disease that we face. Uh, at the same time, our health system has been stretched really thin even before COVID. And we have experienced uh, this public-private divide, which is, puts us in a very difficult uh, place, um, as I'm sure that all of you are aware. And this, we'll talk a little bit about um, why this is relevant uh, for vaccines. So where are we now uh, in the COVID-19 response? Here are just some graphs to, to show uh, everyone that uh, are showing the number of cases in the country. Um, you'll see at the top, it's the number of daily cases and all of those, those different colored graphs uh, represent each of the different provinces in, in South Africa. And you can see that the, the graphs are going up in all of the provinces um, into what we now call a second wave. Um, and at the bottom, you also see the death graph, which is the number of deaths per day. Obviously, this is very worrying. Um, and so the current scenario is, according to the Minister of Health, that the second wave is here. I'm sure you've all heard the word se term second wave, and that's just referring to um, a second peak of cases. Cases are going up again from, from June, July, when we had our first peak. And at the same time, we're entering into a period where people are starting to gather together more, see family and friends that they haven't seen throughout this whole long year. People are starting to travel between different provinces, which, which increases the risk of people being exposed. And thirdly, people are, are tired, both um, business community, uh, uh, local people who are, who are tired of all of the restrictions around COVID, and healthcare workers like yourselves who uh, have been struggling with, with fighting COVID and with fighting community uh, stigma or all sorts of things. Um, but now as we go into a second wave, it's even more important than ever before um, that we're able to get the message out there. Okay, so, so this is from the COVID slides that we I showed at the last workshop we ran with you, which is just about how quickly um, COVID is able to spread. So looking at the top, if one person were to have COVID uh, and they were to spread it to three people, you can see that very quickly you can get from three people to nine people to 27 people to 81 people, on and on to 2,000 people in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven steps. And that means that COVID is able to, to really explode in communities and, and infect a lot of people in a, in a quick, uh, short amount of time. And so when we're talking about a vaccine, a vaccine is one of these options, one of these ways that we can break uh, the chain. And I'll talk about what that means uh, to break the chain. It's one of the ways that people in public health, people in the government and, and healthcare workers are looking to as, as something that might be able to um, help us to stop the spread. So the other ways that to stop the spread that, that we've talked about previously are obviously that what everyone knows, physical distancing, wearing a mask, cleaning hands and surfaces, avoiding crowds, especially indoors over these holidays, staying home if you're sick. And these are things that regardless of whether a vaccine is here or not, we need to keep doing. Um, these need to be the priorities ahead of, of any um, discussion of a vaccine because they're going to be important um, uh, for a long time to come. But 
in addition to these five things, what, is, what does a vaccine give us? Is a vaccine an option um, in South Africa to, to stop the spread of COVID? Uh, and what are our choices here? So what are vaccines? I'm sure most of you have seen these little booklets that I've got on the screen, the little pink one and, and the green one, the Road to Health booklets. The Road to Health booklets are the um, are given to, to children in, in South Africa and it helps um, parents to, to make sure that they're getting all of their proper checkups at the local clinic. I'm sure that you'll, you'll know that um, if you have seen one of these, these booklets, that inside there is a list of, of, of vaccines and when um, kids have been born or have gone to their clinic visits, six weeks, 10 weeks, etc. After they have received their injection, somebody will sign off and make sure that um, it's noted that the child has received the vaccine. And so you can see that all children in South Africa under this EPI, Expanded Program of Immunization, have received multiple vaccines by the time they are um, um, a, a few years old. Okay, so there are vaccines that are given everything from the BCG vaccine, which is for TB, to polio vaccines, rotavirus vaccines. And these vaccines are sometimes oral drops that babies will get. And sometimes they're injections in the arm or the leg of, of the baby. And so all of us, uh, yourselves included, myself included, have received multiple vaccines um, by the time we're adults. And these protect us from a whole range of diseases, which um, are now either very rare, for example, polio. polio does not exist in South Africa anymore because of the polio vaccine, or um, have been very common in the past, like uh, diarrhea diseases such as rotavirus. And the government has decided that investing money in vaccines, spending money in vaccines to give to people in the country is a good way to stop these diseases from happening. Okay. Another one of the important examples on this list is the measles vaccine. Okay. Many people who are in their, uh, their middle age will remember extensive outbreaks of measles when they were younger throughout the country. Measles outbreaks now are now quite newsworthy events um, in the country. They do still happen. We've had some in Cape Town in recent years. But this is just showing how even in such a short um, phase of time, one person's lifetime, that vaccines have had a really amazing effect on, on the type of disease that we face and the number of these diseases that we face. So what are vaccines? So there's a quote here in the top that says, vaccine is a type of medicine that trains the body's immune system so it can fight a disease it has not come into contact with before. Vaccines are designed to prevent disease. Okay. It's a bit uh, of a wordy uh, definition, but the key point here is that vaccines are a type of medicine and they are a way that we, some sort of medicine that we use to help the body to recognize infections, okay? Help the body to be able to understand what type of disease, in, what type of bug or yunshalanguan or bacteria or virus it's infected with and how it can fight uh, that virus, okay? So they're a way to assist the body to tackle an infection. And I'll talk about how they actually work now. So why do we use them? We use them to prevent people contracting illnesses that can cause their death or these leave them with severe lifelong side effects. 
So polio was one of those examples. Often people with polio are disabled for, for most of their life. Um, all sorts of uh, disabilities that they can, can have or sometimes die. But vaccines we also use to prevent outbreaks of communicable diseases. Communicable just means diseases uh, that can spread, diseases that are infectious or can travel from one person to another. So if I had a disease, I could give it to someone else. That means it's a communicable disease. Vaccines are also useful to protect people who have weak immune systems from getting sick. So, for example, older people or children or people with uh, very severe uh, illnesses, chronic diseases, cancer, etc., who might have weakened immune systems, vaccines are used to protect them from these common infections that other people would be able to fight or fine, that other people's immune systems would be able to cope with, but they are not strong enough to be able to cope with those uh, infections without a little help from a vaccine. Okay. And there's another reason we use vaccines. Sometimes they, they can help with limiting uh, the resistance of some bugs um, to medicines that we give them, okay? because it allows the immune system to fight the infection instead of having to rely on uh, a lot of um, other types of medicine that the, that the bug, that the, the, the virus can get used to and become resistant to. Okay. So how do they work? Vaccines work by acting like an infectious agent acting, mimicking, copying, whatever word you want to use. They act like an infectious agent. And so to the body, to your body or my body, they look like something that is infectious. They look like it's a, it's a virus or a bacteria. Okay? And that can be in different ways. It can either be that it's inactivated. So it is some virus or bacteria but we've made, we've changed it. We've changed the virus or bacteria so that it's no longer can cause disease. It's a, it's a weak virus or it's a weak bacteria or it's inactivated is the, is the word. Okay. It's just a cell. It's too weak to do anything. Your body uh, um, picks that up. Or sometimes it's a dead virus. We've killed the virus with all sorts of things. Another virus is dead and it's just like a piece of dirt. Um, like many things that your body would, would encounter. If you had a cut on your arm or something and something got into your blood, um, it's the exact same way that your body would respond. So it would be a dead virus. Or it could just be little broken off pieces, like a, a little bit of a shell, a little bit of a um, uh, proteins of, of the virus. And then the third point, this is a very important point. It's tested for safety. So test what's first tested before we test if a vaccine works and, and prevents disease, the first thing that's tested is that this inactivated or killed point that I, that I have made is true. We're testing that this virus is actually dead or this virus is actually broken apart and now it's just a piece of protein and so it's actually safe. It's just, yeah, it's not going to cause any, any harm. Okay. Then once we now know that we have bits of bits of the, the virus or bacteria or whatever that we want to use, and we know that they're safe, they, can't, they cannot cause disease. Now we want to see, is it useful? Is it useful as a vaccine? Can we use it to help the body? Okay. So by giving someone a vaccine, what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to train the body's immune system. So you might have heard before that the immune system is like the soldiers of the body. Okay. 
inside your blood is these little soldiers that fight against infection. They're very tiny. You can't, you can't see them with the naked eye. And they're little different types of blood cells and proteins. That's what we call the immune system. Okay. Little soldiers with little spears is a good way to think of them. Okay. And they protect your body from infection throughout your whole life. When you're a child, when you get a cold and a flu and you're, and you're sniffing and you're getting a fever and a temperature, that's not actually the bug, the, the virus or the bacteria doing that. It's actually your body doing that. Your body is making your temperature go up, it's making you sneeze, it's making you um, have a runny nose and all of these sorts of things because it's trying to make it so it's trying to make it uncomfortable for the virus and the bug. It's trying to kill the bug that's in your body. And eventually it does that with most infections, with uh, colds and flus. We've all had them dozens and dozens of times. Um, sometimes more severe illnesses, a lot of you might have had mumps or, or something as a child, or and most of us have had um, chicken pox. Your body fights the, the bug off uh, using its immune system. Okay, so most of those, those illnesses, um, sometimes we give medicine to help you. Sometimes we give antibiotics or uh, some other kinds of medicine, panado, to help you feel all right while it happens. But largely, it's your body fighting off infections, the soldiers in your body. But sometimes, in the case of, of some infections, especially when they are new infections, when they're infections that your, that your body has not seen before, it doesn't recognize, it speaks a funny language, and comes from, um, it, it hasn't been seen by your, by your body before. Your body might need a little bit of help because it doesn't know what the weaknesses of this virus are. And that's where vaccines come in. So we've got this little virus in the bottom right corner. I've drawn, it's a little picture of the, of the coronavirus, actually. It's this little circle. Inside are some, some dots, a little bit of genetic material. And on the outside, there's these spikes with little balls on them. And coronavirus, it's called the spike protein. But basically, it's a little, a little virus. Viruses are not alive. That's the first point I want to make. Viruses are not alive. And that's why we don't use antibiotics to kill viruses. But viruses to reproduce, to get to have little baby viruses, they need to use your body. They use your body like a factory. Okay? They use your body to make more of themselves and to spread. Okay? And that's what makes people sick. So in this case, in an example, what if somebody had never seen COVID before and was very the immune system was very weak. Then this virus, you see the arrow, infects the person and they're gonna get sick. I've made a red cross. They could get sick, or we've talked about last time, some people get very sick, need to go to hospital, ventilators, need oxygen, and some people unfortunately die. Okay. And those people who die are very often uh, older or have other illnesses, chronic illnesses as well. Okay. So how do we help this person? So a vaccine would work on the bottom left. Now you'll see these little shapes that I've, that I've made. So what the scientists do is they take this virus on the right and they break it apart. They break off little pieces of it and they just, they melt it and break it apart. And so it's no longer a virus. It's just little fragments, little bits of virus dust that's left. Okay. And eventually they, they, they study that and they put that into a vaccine. The vaccine is then injected into someone or in a drop in, in, in someone's mouth. 
into the person's body and the immune system in, in the body that we talked about, the soldiers in the body see the stuff that's inside the blood and they think it's, it's not normal, I need to fight it. Okay. It can't cause infection, it can't actually cause illness, but your body responds anyway. Your body gets ready to fight this, this thing. Okay. And the way your body does that, generally, is it makes these things we call antibodies. I've made them as little Ys. Think of them as the, the if, you, if, you have, if your immune system is the soldiers, these are the spears that your soldiers are going to use. Okay. And these, these spears, these weapons, these antibodies are very specific. They fit, they attack just that virus, just these little fragments. They, are, they know where the weak points in these fragments are and they, and they, and they attach to them, basically. Okay. And then what happens is now that you've had this vaccine, when, after you've gone on with your life, you now come into contact with the real coronavirus, okay? your antibodies will bind to the coronavirus. They will attach it. They will attach to it, okay? like swarming soldiers attacking an enemy. And that will deactivate or inactivate uh, the virus okay? so that it's not able to get into your cells. And why is that important? Remember, virus needs to get into your cells, into your body to make more of itself. So by having antibodies ready to go, by the time you see the coronavirus or your body encounters the coronavirus, it's able to uh, inactivate the virus and protect this person. So remember, this person in the, in the beginning, would, would, if they had just seen, come into contact with coronavirus and they had not had a vaccine, they would not have had uh, the immune system ready um, to, to, to activate uh, and respond in time to prevent them from getting sick. Okay. So that's the general rule of how vaccines work. And I think that's the, the, the main thing we wanted to discuss um, um, today. And if there's some questions about that, I um, can answer them. Okay. So then this is another, another thing just to, to talk about. So now that we know what a vaccine is, Great, we can solve we can solve the problem. We can we can defeat any virus. Is that true? Well, it depends. Okay. So there's this thing called herd immunity or herd protection. You maybe have heard about. People have been talking about it on the radio. Minister of Health talks about it sometimes. Uh, some other countries have 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 been uh, talking about it as well. Basically, herd immunity is this way of saying how many people or how many. Um, people in a population, in a country, do we need to have protected before we can control a pandemic or an outbreak? In this case, coronavirus. Okay. So on the left side is, uh, the top left side, the, 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 the people in blue are people who have not been vaccinated, not been immunized, uh, but they're still healthy. And you'll see that if just one or two people get coronavirus, and, and this is not for coronavirus, this is for, for any infection, it can very quickly spread to the whole group. Suddenly, the whole group becomes red. Okay, and that's because of, when you go back to this slide that I showed, of how quickly coronavirus can spread. Okay. But it can very quickly get through a whole population if people are vulnerable. But sometimes, if you, if you vac in the middle picture now, if you'd vaccinated some of the people, if, you, if you'd give it, given a, um, a coronavirus vaccine to some of the people, you'll see those people in yellow, they're now protected from coronavirus. 
they won't get very sick from, from coronavirus and they'll be fine. But the rest of the population, us who haven't received the vaccine, can still get infected. Okay. And that you'll see the rest of the people become red, still the same way as the, as the top photo. Herd immunity is the third thing. Herd immunity is when we vaccinate or we vaccinate enough people or enough people have had coronavirus before that they're now protected or their immune systems are strong enough that enough people have been vaccinated that now there's some people who haven't been vaccinated, they can be kept safe. Okay, does that make sense? So there will be some people in the population, maybe uh, some very sick people or some very young people or some people in the population that don't have access to healthcare um, or haven't gone and get in, gotten vaccinated. And because they haven't been vaccinated, they are at risk of getting coronavirus. But if we can vaccinate enough of the other people, the, all of these yellow people, all of us who are able to or are healthy enough to get the vaccine, who are uh, close enough to hospitals uh, and have access to healthcare, we're able to vaccinate enough of those people, we can even protect those who haven't been vaccinated. Just because everyone you come into contact with will be healthy and will be vaccinated, it can protect you because uh, there's no way the virus can jump um, from them to you. And this herd immunity, I mean, it's a bit of a, a big debate and, and people talking about how, how many people will need to get vaccinated before we have herd immunity. Uh, there's all sorts of scientists and, and, and articles being published about it. Um, and some of the, the estimates are somewhere between 70 to 90% of, of people might need to be immune before we can say we have herd immunity. I see there's a, a hand that's been raised, Bongelani Nene. Um, do you want to ask your question now? Yes, sir, I want to ask a question. Good day, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Go ahead. My name is Bongelani Nene, a community health worker from Soweto. Okay, my question is, 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 is that most of the people here in South Africa, they tested once or twice uh, on COVID. And... The reason why they were testing is because they had symptoms uh, of, or they were showing, uh, they had signs that they're coughing, they're, yeah, whatever symptoms of COVID-19, what to say, coughing, sore throats, they had all those symptoms. Yet, some of them, their results came back negative, but some of the people who didn't show symptoms, uh, their results came positive. Yet, we know that after you've tested or had a certain disease, automatically your body create antibody to fight against that disease uh, before you take vaccine and so on. So my question is that how would we know that people do have antibodies or not before they take a vaccine? Or does uh, uh, a vaccine uh, helps you if you already have the antibodies or not? Thank you. Thank you, Bongadani. I think that's a great question. I saw that one of those questions was raised in the WhatsApp um, earlier this week. And so just to, to rephrase it for everyone, um, the point I think, as I understand, that's being asked is with coronavirus, um, we know that there's some people who have already been infected with coronavirus, obviously. You know that some people have died of it, but we know that 
hundreds of thousands of people in the country have been infected. A large number of those have tested positive at some facility. They were feeling sick and then they went, they had a, a cough and a sore throat and they went to a facility and they got swabbed. Maybe even some of you here have had coronavirus uh, before. I've been swabbed myself. And they got, they got, they tested positive for coronavirus and they fought off the virus. So now the idea is that they are immune. There's some debate about how long they are immune for, um, but it does seem uh, to be the case that for the vast majority of people who have had coronavirus, they have some level of immunity. Okay. There are some cases that have come up in, in the literature and in articles people have, have, have published, even in South Africa, of people saying, oh, I got coronavirus again, uh, even after having it once. There's some debate about that, but for the most part, most of those people who have gone through coronavirus um, uh, have immunity. But what Bongalani was, was saying is that there are some people who didn't get sick at all who we find out had coronavirus. So some people had what we call asymptomatic. They had no symptoms, but they still got coronavirus. And in the same way, they probably were young, they probably were quite, quite healthy, or they didn't even notice that they had a runny nose or anything like that. And in the same way, they now are also immune. Okay. So a vaccine, when you talk about immunity, immunity does not mean I've been vaccine, vaccinated. It means I've been vaccinated or I've had, my body has got some sort of protection against this infection, either from having it previously, like Bongalani was talking about. My body's already seen this virus. It's already made those antibodies in the same way as if I'd had a vaccine, all my body is just strong enough that it, it's not able to be infected. Okay. So the question is, he was asking is, what do we do about all those people who are already the yellow cover, who are already immune um, before uh, we vaccinate? So uh, it's a difficult question because I think it's going to depend a lot on the government's policy. So um, for example, with the, with the, the EPI, with the kids, you go back to the kids one. When you have, take your kid to the hospital, okay, uh, to the clinic, and they get their 14-week their rotavirus vaccine, okay, they don't ever test your, your kid to see if they've had rotavirus before. They don't ever at any clinic in the country um, test to see if you've had um, measles before, before you get your vaccine. Um, I mean, maybe they might ask you about that just, just as part of normal or checkups and making sure that you, your child has been cared for. But all, so most kids are given vaccines, the vaccines that they have, whether they've had the infection previously or not. Okay. This, the assumption is that most people haven't had it previously. Most people haven't yet had it. And so the vaccine will work. Um, and in those people that have had the infection, whatever it is, uh, uh, diarrhea or whatever, before that the vaccine is not it, either not going to make it won't make a difference really is, is, the, is the, the assumption being being made okay and so that's really the assumption that's that is probably going to be made with coronavirus that uh but it depends upon government's policy it might be that if we have such a limited supply of vaccines that it might be that they test people and people who haven't had coronavirus before are the only ones we're going to allow to have the vaccine. But there's no, there hasn't been any any worries that if you 
have already had coronavirus and now you get the vaccine, that that's a problem. That's not really a worry. It's more about how do we make sure that we are um, using the, the supply that we have. If we only have a thousand vaccines and there are a thousand five hundred people and and half of them have had coronavirus, maybe we should give give the vaccine to those people who haven't had coronavirus, or maybe we should give vaccine just to those who would get very, very sick, so the elderly or healthcare workers or um, uh, people with illnesses, and maybe we must prioritize. So just to, to answer your question, Bongalani, so it's, it's unlikely that giving the vaccine to somebody who's already had coronavirus will make much of a difference. Um, they probably already, they, we assume they already have immunity, um, uh, and there haven't been any studies on whether giving the vaccine to them will increase their immunity, or, but it will probably have no, no impact uh, on that. It's mainly about how do we prioritize? How do we make sure we're not wasting vaccine? And that'll just depend on the government's policies, the provincial health policies, and on how many vaccine doses uh, we have available. And, and Prof. London will be talking about some of the, the access issues and the, and the economic challenges and the the political issues of, of getting access to vaccines in a country like South Africa, which doesn't have as much political power or money as, as a lot of uh, the uh, United States or the United Kingdom and all of these places that are able to buy as many vaccines as they need. So what about a COVID-19 vaccine? Uh, there's current, so I debated how, how technical to get about all of the different types of vaccines that are now coming out. But what the main point I wanted to make is that, as I'm sure you all know, there's, there's currently no COVID-19 vaccine available in South Africa to the general public. Okay. There have been some trials going on for a number of months. And in the recent weeks, and this is one of the reasons we set up this workshop, in the recent weeks, a number of companies have published their results overseas, internationally, showing that they've been testing some types of vaccine and these vaccines are working. And what that means is that now, in the coming months, some of these vaccines are going to be approved in different countries, have different processes for approving vaccines. And some of these vaccines are going to be rolled out. In the United Kingdom, uh, the uh, UK, the first coronavirus vaccine has already been rolled out. It's already started. So people are starting to be vaccinated. And in the coming months, it will probably start in South Africa. The vaccine options, these candidates, I've listed them one, two, three, four. There's actually more. There's a Chinese vaccine. There's, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's something like 40-something different vaccine trials. I've listed some of the, the well-known ones that have been published recently. All of these vaccines have different structures and are made in different ways by different companies. Okay. So they're made in different ways, different scientific ways. They're made by different companies, and they use different parts of the virus. So some of them are using those spikes that I talked about, the, uh, the viral, the spike proteins and, and pieces of protein, and others of them are using internal parts of the, the virus, that what we call RNA of a virus, the little genetic pieces of the, of the virus. But the, the irrespective uh, of the part of the virus that is being used and the way in which they are made, they all work similarly in your body. So that mechanism that I showed, that rough mechanism of showing your immune cells a bit of a virus 
or an inactive part of a virus um, and allowing it to recognize that and get to work making antibodies so that when the real virus comes along, it's ready. All of the vaccines, that's how vaccines work in general across every single different type of, of vaccine. So there are some that have been talked about. The Pfizer vaccine, Moderna vaccine, have, have, were published recently, I'm sure to be more than 90% effective. There's the Oxford AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. That's something people might know about. It's been, was be, being tested in, in South Africa and in the United Kingdom. Uh, I myself volunteered as one of the, the test subjects on it. So I got a, an injection of, of something that I didn't know if it was a vaccine or if it was just sugar water. Um, so basically it's been tested in different countries around the world. The reason it was tested in South Africa, just to make sure that we're, we're responding to that, is because it's, it's good that we, we have local data. We have local evidence to show that we're not just testing um, overseas and then we don't know if it works on our population. So it was also tested. It was tested in like 60,000 people in the United Kingdom as well. Okay, that's, that's one that people might know about. And then there's the, the Sputnik V vaccine is a Russian vaccine, is a Chinese vaccine as well. Um, I'm saying Russian Chinese just because of where they were found and not, um, and not because of, of, of some sort of political or geographic um, point I'm trying to make uh, about them. So the, these vaccines have been shown to be effective, some of them. Some of them, like the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, has not yet finished its trial. Its trial is still ongoing and, and, and will, will still be a few months before it's, it's ready to do anything. Um, some of its preliminary early, early data has shown it does work, but that's still going to be a while. So these first two, Pfizer and, and Moderna vaccines, are the ones that are um, ahead of the others a little bit. These vaccines also have different, different ways that they have to be made. So we can talk again about uh, access and distribution, but these vaccines have to get made in certain scientific ways and have to be stored in different ways. So some of them have to be kept in very, very cold freezers, which is gonna make it difficult for them to be um, distributed. And some of them have much higher costs and some of them have much lower costs. And a lot of that depends on the contracts that governments have signed with these companies that, um, and also on the companies themselves. Some of these companies are trying to make money off the vaccines and some of them are trying to go the more uh, non-for-profit route. But in both cases, uh, the issue of cost and how do we get our country to afford, um, to both afford to pay for vaccines and to make sure that we have enough in time. And we're not waiting uh, and waiting until the rest of the world is done being vaccinated before we get a chance. Okay. So that supply side of things is going to be a big discussion in, in the months to come. And I've left a lot of those points um, to Prop London to discuss. So what are some points to consider about C19 and vaccines, COVID-19 and vaccines? The one point to consider is that I think with when this, in the recent weeks, when these studies came out showing that there are effective vaccines, like that have that have been found to work. That a lot of people heard it on the radio or the news, and that in their mind made it think then think that COVID is over. Okay, we're fine now. They've got a vaccine that can prevent us from getting sick. No more need to worry. 
we're fine. I can go back to partying. Christmas holiday is coming up. I don't need to wear masks anymore. Uh, it's all over. Yay. That is not true. That's the, the, a big thing that we need to be pushing back against. It's going to be, for us in South Africa, unfortunately, it's going to be at least a few months, if not a, a year or so before the vaccine is being rolled out in South Africa. And there's going to be lots of barriers, barriers in terms of cost, barriers in terms of access, barriers in terms, and a big barrier in terms of how we make people understand how vaccines work and not have fake news and, and fear and people avoiding uh, the vaccine once uh, it's gone through all of the different scientific steps. So remember, they still have to be approved. The government still has to look at them. Health workers and, and scientists in South Africa will, will still have to look at these vaccines and make sure that they accept they are, that they are safe and that they work. But once they do, in the, and that will happen in the coming months, once they do and the government uh, regulates these vaccines, the government will then purchase them and, and start to distribute uh, vaccines. And that's going to be a big challenge for, for months to come. And it's going to require a lot of work from people such as yourselves, uh, from people who are employed in the public healthcare sector, people who are act healthcare activists and members of the community. Okay. So some of the other points, vaccines are not a magic bullet. As I've said, we need to keep ex educating people on practicing social distancing, uh, et cetera, many different ways. Um, to protect people, hand washing, social distancing, avoiding gatherings uh, that we've talked about. If, if there's anything you take up away from this, it's that vaccines are on, on, the, on the road to us, but they, there is not a, a magic bullet that's here now. Okay. And there will be many months before they will be available um, uh, in, in, a, in a country um, like South Africa and even in a lot of the Western world. There's a lot of fear, stigma, and fake news about vaccines. I'm sure some of you have seen uh, a very recent uh, Twitter thing that has happened with the um, Chief Justice where, where, where somebody uh, clipped a video of, of um, him talking about uh, vaccines and in a very negative way. So the first steps to understanding this is to understand how vaccines work. I think a lot of people don't understand how vaccines work and what is just not possible with vaccines uh, in terms of, of causing harm and what is possible. And that we understand, and this is what we are hoping to start looking at, what are the levels of knowledge people have in communities about vaccines and what are some of the, the beliefs people have about vaccines? Are there beliefs that vaccines are evil or invasive or toxic? Do people not know about uh, uh, how they work? Are there other ideas that about how vaccines, even if they're not harmful, that they might be uh, trying to make money or, or, or whatever? So there's a, there's a long list of, of myths and, 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 and fake news and false statements that have come up around COVID. I mean, this is from our, some of our group discussions in, in communities. People have talked about People believing that, uh, well, some of it's stigma and, and people not wanting to accept they have COVID. Sometimes it's blaming refugees or it's um, believing that COVID comes from the, this whole 5G thing and it's a conspiracy and it's people are trying to make money or that Bill Gates is somehow doing something with vaccines or 
vaccines have put a mark on you and they implant in them to track you, or that COVID is is um, is false or, or fake and doesn't actually exist. All of these things are things that we have heard, and I'm sure you have all heard them too. Okay, there's not um, new things to hear. But with the vaccines coming out now in the coming months, there's going to be new new myths, new fake news is going to start appearing around COVID. It's already started around vaccines. It's already started, but it's going to increase over the coming months. And so I think it, it is good if we start finding out what the questions are. Perhaps there's some things I haven't talked about today that, that um, I haven't covered that you think I need to cover. We need to be getting this information out. There's some questions, and there's a good question you had already. There's some questions about what in this case, what about this case with vaccines? Do they work in this case? Um, and all of those different things we need to be getting, collecting those questions and then getting the information um, um, out, out to everyone. I think the issue of, of myths and stigma around vaccines is going to be just as big as the issue of making sure we, so we push the government um, and the international big business companies that we've talked about, Pfizer, Moderna, to make sure that we get access to vaccines and we're not left behind um, by the world that has more money to push around. So thank you very much. That's my part of the presentation. Um, if there are some questions, perhaps um, it would be good if you want to put some hands up now. Otherwise, I will pass over to Prof. London and then we can do questions at the end. That might also work. Sure. Thanks, James. So I've been trying to respond to some questions as they come up in the um, chat. You will have seen. And we will have discussion at the end where we can clarify all of those questions. Um, uh, as James said, I'm going to, um, I'll just introduce myself. So I'm at the University of Cape Town, also on the steering committee for PHM, and have been a part of a project that PHM is looking at the problems of access to vaccines and medicines and other technologies uh, globally. So in India, Korea, and South Africa. Uh, and this is part of a global campaign. And we're working with other CSOs and NGOs to promote access because really um, the vaccine is your right, it's everybody's right and we have to, uh, the same way we fought for antiretrovirals, we need to fight for vaccines. So that's what I'm going to be talking about. So you'll see this uh, cartoon shows that some people are waiting for the vaccine and other people are having a good time and that is the problem we want to avoid and that's the problem of South Africa's health system because some people get access and other people don't. And uh, we want to make sure that doesn't happen with COVID and the vaccine. So I'm going to start just by explaining two important concepts. So we talk a lot about patents and we talk a lot about intellectual property. And I want to explain why it's important for this discussion about the vaccine. So what is a patent? So a patent is really something that somebody who invents something gets uh, when they um, make something new. Uh, and it's basically something which stops another person from using or making or selling something that the first person has invented. Okay? So just think about it. I invent something. I don't actually have to sell it. Or I don't actually have to distribute it, but I can take out a patent and it stops other people from making it or using it or selling it. 
it's for a set period. So usually in South Africa, it's 20 years. And it's for a product or a process that must be new. So you can't simply patent something that exists before. And sometimes what happens is companies patent something which is only slightly different from what was before, and it's not really new, but they get away with a new patent, and that's also a problem. Um, and so it must be new, and it must offer a new technical solution to something. So that is a patent. Intellectual property is really when you apply your mind, your intellect, in other words, to develop something new or original. And the idea is you can register your intellectual property and get it recognized, and it's meant to give you an incentive to carry on creating new things, new products, new processes. And a patent is one form of intellectual property. So um, if somebody writes a, a book, they can copyright the book, so you can't use the book without their permission, or they make a movie. Uh, to be honest, I'm going to show you photos which might be copyrighted, which I've taken off the internet, which is illegal. I shouldn't be doing that. But that's another form of intellectual property. Somebody owns those pictures, and I shouldn't be using the pictures without their permission. But because it's MSF, I'm sure they won't mind. But in other words, patents are just one form of intellectual property, and they're meant to encourage people to develop, to innovate, but they don't necessarily do that because someone could sit on a patent for years and not actually produce the drug. And we know that has happened. And patents are usually administered in law. So in South Africa, we have about 17 laws, and they're very outdated, and they're actually very poor because um, they allow new medicines or fact medicines to be patented or things to be patented when they shouldn't be uh, patented. So here's a, a, an electric car. Some of you might have heard about it. There's a South African who's a smart guy who invented an electric car. It runs off electricity only, no petrol. And you can understand that that invention you could consider to be something that they should they could patent because they've invested all their intellectual property, they've spent a lot of money. Now they want to develop the car, they want to sell it and get their money back. So they can patent the idea of an electric engine. But a car is not a medicine or a vaccine because you know I could buy a different car if I had the money. Uh, but I can't buy a different medicine or vaccine because that is the thing I need to be healthy, for example. So there's a difference in, in the consequence if you have a patent. And here's an example. Some of you on the call might even know Tilbeka Adaki. She was an activist part of MSF uh, Access to Medicines campaign. She um, went public. Uh, she had breast cancer diagnosed in 2013. She had a type of breast cancer. It was a very aggressive form of breast cancer, but it was also a form that could be treated with a very specific new medicine called trastumuzab. Um, this is a medicine that the World Health Organization recommends for that particular type of cancer because it's sensitive to that drug. And if you live in Europe or North America, you will get that drug prescribed to you normally. But in Africa, because of the patents, it costs 35,000 US dollars for one patient for a year. So that is like what, um, close to 600,000 Rand you would have to pay for that medicine for treatment. She tried to get access to the drug, but because it was so expensive and very hard, the public health system couldn't afford it. She never got that medicine. Her request was denied. 
and she her cancer came back in 2015 and she died in 2016. So she died because of a patent that blocked um, access to that medicine because it made the price so high. And that's the problem. So when a drug company holds the patents, they have a monopoly on the medicine or the vaccine. <clears throat> no other company can make the same medicine or vaccine without their permission, even if there's a health emergency. And because the company has a monopoly, they can, and they usually do, keep the prices very high. But where there's competition, the prices will come down. If you have a patent, there's no competition. You've got the exclusive right. And we know this from HIV. So HIV taught us two things. Firstly, it taught us that strong civil society action made uh, access to medicines possible. And secondly, we brought down the medicine costs through various ways, but the most important way was to get competition in. We broke the patent monopoly. And I don't know if you can see in the graph, the red line here is the price of the drugs that were originally the branded drugs called the originator. And the original cost per year per patient in US dollars was over 10,000 US dollars in 2000. So that's about... Um, 170,000 rand a year per patient at the time. The generic uh, drugs, which is the gray um, line, uh, produced in Brazil were about a quarter of the price. So, but in South Africa, we couldn't access that because of patent laws and, and intellectual property obstacles. But then there was a very intense campaign which broke the patent laws, the World Trade Organization, um, relaxed its patent uh, protections, and the price of drugs came down. You can see how much it came down from 10,000 uh, US dollars right down to less than around 1,000. So that's more than 10 times. And it's not because the, the cost of making the drug changed at all. It's just because it was transparent. So we learned that patents are a real obstacle to access to care, and secondly, that competition drives down prices. How does that affect us in South Africa now? So during the COVID epidemic, we had um, the capacity to do the, 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 the PCR tests in our national health laboratory services because for a long time we had been using this device called Gene Expert for TB. We have a lot of TB, and Gene Expert was a way of diagnosing TB quickly and, and in large volumes. So we thought that because we had a lot of these machines, these Gene Expert machines produced by a company called Kefed, that we would be able to do lots of tests for COVID using these machines because it's the same platform. It's a PCR test. But what happened was we didn't get the cartridges to run the tests because the company... Uh, did not sell us the cartridges, they sold them to the US. The US bought up most of the supply. Now the NHLS uh, couldn't do the tests. So you remember that there were many people tested, but the results took five days, seven days, ten days, two weeks to come back sometimes. The backlog was so much. And by that time the person had either recovered, had died, had gone to hospital, had already infected somebody else, so the test was meaningless. So our epidemic really took off 
because of the problem, we couldn't process the test. Now, the NHLS could have made their own kit cartridges, but the composition of that cartridge was protected by a patent, so they couldn't get the information to make their own tests. And so they had the machines, they had the devices, they couldn't get the cartridges because they'd been sold to the US, and they couldn't get the intellectual property to make their own cartridges. So that was the problem, how it affected us in South Africa. It was a real obstacle to our testing ability. And the consequence is really that patents killed South Africans because there were people who could have been tested sooner, could have been diagnosed sooner, could have not infected somebody else who maybe had diabetes, who then died. Um, and that's an example of the way in which patents present an obstacle for healthcare and have proven an obstacle in the past. So what might happen with COVID vaccines? Well, that's the problem. The poor people have to wait your turn while the rich countries buy up all the vaccine, and we've been seeing that a lot to date. So the World Health Organization has tried to do something about this. They've set up something called a COVID-19 accelerator, and that's meant to speed up the development of vaccines, the development of medicines, all the things you need to combat COVID. So it sounds like a good idea. COVAX is the one that deals with the vaccine specifically, and what it is setting up is a way in which a big pool of money can purchase the vaccine before the vaccines are actually out. In other words, countries can put up money through COVAX for advanced purchasing. It's like, it's like prepaying your electricity or prepaying on your phone. So you put down the money, and then you can use it up when the vaccine comes through. And under COVAX, low-income countries get the vaccine for free from the fund. So South Africa is not a low-income country. We are actually a middle-income. In fact, we are an upper-middle-income country. Uh, Mozambique, Malawi, for instance, would be low-income countries. So they will get the vaccine free from COVAX. We will have to purchase it. We will purchase it at market prices. Supposedly, the prices will be low, but we have no control over that. And that's the problem, that COVAX doesn't change the intellectual property protection that the companies have. They still maintain their patents, and they will decide the cost of medicines. So COVAX may be a good idea, but it has some problems. The other problem, of course, is that there are billions of people in the world, and there won't be billions of vaccines, <clears throat> certainly not at the start. And the expectation is that where there is um, limited supply, we will provide, we will cover 20% of the population of every country. Now, I don't know where the World Health Organization came up with 20% rather than 30% or 10%, but it's 20%. And countries will have to decide who gets the vaccine first, as James pointed out. So usually, as you know, most countries are talking about three groups. They're talking about the elderly, we have a high risk for severe disease, high mortality. How you define elderly can vary because in our context, quite a lot of people are dying who have no comorbidities but are you know, under 50. So it's not clear how South Africa will decide that. Secondly, we know that people with other diseases, so-called comorbidities, uh, diabetes, hypertension, have much higher risk. People with HIV, even if they're on treatment, and controlled on treatment will have higher risk. So we have a lot of people who have comorbidities, and 20% is not going to go very far. 
we know that 11% of the population have HIV alone. Add to that hypertension, diabetes, etc. Then, of course, there are, there's the idea that we want to vaccinate health workers because you need the health workers in the hospitals and clinics to deliver the health care. So protect them so that they can protect others. And then you would have to think about other emergency workers. And the problem is COVAX doesn't stop rich countries from going and buying lots of vaccine on the side. And we've seen that. There's a new vaccine from Pfizer. Uh, and 80% of the vaccine that Pfizer are developing has already been reserved by northern high-income countries, the US and others. So that vaccine will be out, but only 20% of it will be available to the rest of the world. So access is going to be a problem. So why is COVAX not good enough? It relies on the market. There's no fixed pricing, so the companies can really charge what they want to. It doesn't stop the privatizing of the intellectual property, so the companies can still end up making a lot of money out of it. It doesn't prevent a rich country from cutting a deal like has happened with um, Roche and others. And there's no guarantee you'll get the most suitable vaccine. So James mentioned one of the vaccines is of a particular type of technology that you need a, a freezer that's minus 80. Now, most freezers that you might have in your house are minus 20. Minus 80 is a very unusual freezer and it's very expensive. And most of our vaccines don't need sub-zero temperatures. They need a fridge. They need like uh, five degrees or something like that. Uh, so we are going to have to rebuild our whole cold chain if we get this particular vaccine. And we have no choice of which vaccine we get. And to rebuild our cold chain, we'll have to buy new freezers, install them, have electricity. So the money we spend on the vaccine will probably be about the same money we'll have to spend on the whole supply system so that the vaccine can be delivered. So it's not necessarily a, a clear and easy solution. Minister of Finance announced recently he's allocating 0.5 billion rands uh, of the 5 billion that is needed for South Africa to purchase through COVAX. I think a lot of money has actually come through the private sector, but there's still a lot of money needed. And if you think about it, 0.5 billion for a vaccine that we don't know is necessarily going to be the most effective one. Uh, it could be bought cheaper in other, if there were other measures in place. And we could use that half a billion rand to improve conditions of service of health workers, community health workers, better PPE. I don't know if you're aware, but there's now a big scandal about the Chinese PPE, the K95 masks not meeting standards, etc. So, so we're putting a lot of money into something which might not actually be the best way to solve the problem. The World Health Organization, that's the Director General Tedros there, also announced another initiative. They said, no, we're going to create something called a technology access pool, CTAP, for COVID. It's going to be an open access pool. It's going to speed up the discovery of vaccines, medicines, and other technologies. Basically, people are going to put the, donate their technology. Pharmaceutical companies will donate their technology into this pool so that other people can take it and then go and develop a vaccine. So, of course, lower and middle income countries are supportive, but the big countries with the big pharmaceutical industries are not supporting the UK, the USA. Pfizer, for example, has dismissed it as nonsense and dangerous. And to date, not one pharmaceutical company has actually donated any IP or any substance to this pool. So 
So the World Health Organization put it forward, and, and Costa Rica was a country that did, proposed it, but it's not been successful. So these efforts internationally are not necessarily working. But this is one very important effort that's happening now. So at the World Trade Organization, South Africa and India have proposed a waiver of all intellectual property for anything to do with COVID-19 technologies. They proposed it in the World Trade Organization because the World Trade Organization sets the rules for intellectual property protection. We, we are a member, so we have to obey World Trade Organization guidance. So our laws have to meet their standards which means that we have to protect intellectual property here. So basically, South Africa and India both said, no, for COVID, we should suspend intellectual property for drugs, tests, vaccines. It's just during the epidemic, so it won't be beyond the epidemic. It's until a vaccine can comprehensively cover the population or the majority of the world is immune. In other words, most people have been infected. It's only for COVID-related technology and countries don't have to implement it if they don't want to. So Switzerland does not get affected by the waiver if they don't want to implement the waiver. But if South Africa wants to implement the waiver, we can and not be punished by the World Trade Organization. The resolution was co-sponsored by Kenya, Swaziland, and supported by many countries. And the WHO has obviously been opposed by countries that have pharmaceutical interests, the US, the European Union, Japan, and others. So why is it so important to support this waiver? It's going to lower the costs of the vaccine and other technologies. It's going to remove regulatory obstacles. So at the moment, in terms of the World Trade Organization TRIPS agreement, you can, there are these things called flexibilities which supposedly allow countries to find ways to get medicines and other things for their people if there's an emergency. But it's incredibly bureaucratic to do that, and most countries don't do it because they fear being punished by the World Trade Organization. They fear being punished by the US for trying to fiddle with uh, intellectual property protection. So if you have a waiver, this removes the regulatory obstacles. It will enable us to import affordable medicines and vaccines, it will also stimulate innovation because the, the prop intellectual property will be open. And it will also scale up manufacturing in developing countries. So we have a vaccine industry in South Africa that is state-owned. We have private vaccine companies, but we have BioVac, which is a state-owned entity, which could be manufacturing vaccines if it had access to the intellectual property to do so. So this waiver would enable developing countries to develop their own industries to produce vaccines rather than leaving it in the hands of a few very rich companies. Wealthy countries obviously oppose the waiver to protect the industry and that's the problem. So let's just remember that access to healthcare and the things we need for health is our right. The Covenant on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights says that everyone should should enjoy the highest attainable standard of physical and mental health. And in order for that to happen, states are supposed to take steps to prevent, treat, and control epidemic, endemic, occupational, and other diseases, and ensure access to services in event of sickness. So the covenant is something South Africa has ratified. In fact, more than 190 countries around the world have ratified it. And that says that 
states are obliged to do something to treat, uh, prevent epidemic diseases. COVID is an epidemic disease, and that's to help us attain the highest attainable stand, standard of physical and mental health. The Bill of Rights in South Africa, as you know, Section 27 says everyone has the right to have access to health care and the state must take reasonable legislative and other measures within its available resources to achieve this progressively. So having access to vaccines should be our right because this is what our constitution guarantees us. So just to close, what can community health workers do in their communities? You've heard you can share information about vaccines and also about access to vaccines as a human right. You can counter misinformation because there will be a lot of misinformation as James has pointed out. You can build alliances with structures in your communities, CBOs, health committees, health forum, health NGOs, and you can share this information with them so that basically you're mobilizing popular pressure for more equitable access to health technologies. It shouldn't be the case in South Africa that when the vaccine arrives, a fit, healthy young person who has medical aid can get the vaccine because they can purchase it, whereas someone in an underserved area who is high risk is not able to access that vaccine because the state can't afford it or the systems aren't in place. And you will be the voice to say that people who need it should get it. So that is the, 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 the thing that we want to encourage, that community voice actually shapes how the vaccine reaches people and that it's not just people who have wealth and power who get the vaccine. So I'll stop there and take any questions. I haven't been able to see any hands in there. Sorry, sorry, comrade. Uh, I was trying to, to enter in this, but uh, I'm okay. Uh, I want to just ask uh, this question I'm saying. If maybe the child, he get the uh, immunization from the from from the beginning, which which means that is why those people that are saying uh, the child will never affected by coronavirus is because of that immunization that you, they are using from young age. Okay, I'll answer that in a moment. Perhaps uh, Mr. Nogampula wants to make his comment as well. Question, Tembisile. Uh, thank you, Professor Leslie, uh, about this uh, informative. Uh, presentation. My is not a question so far, just a comment that can you people's health movement to give the, the certificate for attending all these sessions for, for, for community healthcare workers so that they can also sort of encouragement to move ahead and to execute the work as your last slide saying that we need to partner with CBO and other uh, progressive uh, NGO on the ground. Uh, secondly, I believe in South Africa from 1997, there was an amendment which was signed by the former president Nelson Mandela on, on sleeps matters that there should be an amendment that uh, if we don't get the, 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 the right medication, not the right medication, the original, there must be a way out to get the generic uh, medication. 
I think that was signed uh, 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 by Nelson Mandela in 1997, according to, 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 to my knowledge, if I, uh, I sense it right. But uh, uh, there was also a challenge, which was the pharmacist, uh, pharmaceutical companies' problems and how I, I view in terms of producing these medications. They are looking to make money instead of ensuring that the, 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 the people, they have the right to, 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 to get any medication wherever they get ill. So to me, it gives us, give me a clear indication that if we, we don't have a clear policy in, in South Africa, we are still going to face this thing. Because prior 1997, in terms of the, 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 this patent, in South Africa, they use that monopoly capitalist. capitalist. Uh, the years were 16 years than these 20 years. Uh, for, for, from the World Trade Organization. So it means that we are still having a very huge challenge, uh, Leslie, in moving forward to, to reach the goal. Because private companies, I, they don't care about anything than making business. That is my comment. Lastly, from the, from the first presentation, I'm happy, Prof. Uh, James, on the matter of going deep because during this time, this is a new thing of this virus. And the investigators or the scientists and the doctors, they are still going deep, deep, deep to ensure uh, these things are in progress. However, I like the fact that you are also alluding there will be a lot of myths outside. Even now, there's something that are circulating, saying that the wife of Bill Gates divorced Bill Gates because of trying to, to access this vaccine to South Africa, in fact, to Africa, and to kill Africa. And there are another myth saying that these are going into phases, phase one, phase two, phase three. In the last phase, it will be a fight between those who are being uh, vaccinated and those who are not. So all these now today, we understand are all myths. So as CSWs, we have obligations to, to recorrect all these matters into our community. Hence, you alluded, uh, Prof. Leslie, to, to, to have this partnership at the local uh, areas that we, we, we are based on. So what was another question? So I'm happy on that because vaccine does not come today and, and be implemented and be given people. There are stages which are going through it, which is on trial stages so that it can be investigated thoroughly. This can be 100%. Uh, 
or 95% as that medicate uh, that vaccine has been identified i think by 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 in in london that is curable about uh, 95% of that vaccine so it cannot be easy to to say this vaccine has not been go through trials and the last time last week i heard from the the news on the radio that I, I i can't remember which country they hacked the computer from the lab which the the, the, the doctors and scientists trying to get uh, this vaccine but these guys are hacking and they stole the formula so these are the things that we need to check uh, 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 how true is that because there will be a lot of things which are contrary to what we, 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 we are told today. I'm happy and I'm proud of, of these discussions today. Uh, it reminds me a lot of things which I've learned previous years in terms of uh, this IP and patent and strips uh, on all these things. Thank you. Thank you, Comrade Leslie. Thank you. Um... I will give an answer uh, to, to the things and then ask James if he wants to comment because some of the questions were both of us. Um, the question about children. So uh, it is true that the disease is more severe the older you are. It doesn't mean that children are not affected, but children generally tend to be infected and not have such severe forms, although some children can. Uh, but that is not to do with anything to do with the other vaccinations. So there, at one stage, there was a thought that maybe that because children were given BCG, that they would be protected against um, COVID, you know, BCG is for TB, but that has been now thoroughly discredited. There's no evidence that BCG plays any role. So the fact that children have less severe forms of COVID is simply because of the nature of the virus. It's, uh, and, and children's immunity. Um, so it's not to do with vaccination. Uh, if children have comorbidities, uh, they will be vaccinated, just like adults, uh, if they fall in the category of being high risk. The question of 1997 Nelson Mandela generic meds, uh, our laws are actually still very old. They're not very good. There's actually a campaign, and I've posted it in the chat to fix the patent laws because even though South Africa is saying good things in the WTO, uh, Minister Patel is not fixing the laws in South Africa because they allow a lot of patents that should be allowed, they uh, make access to medicines quite difficult. So whatever Nelson Mandela permitted in 1997, it was probably to do with uh, promoting access to antiretrovirals at the time. But the laws actually are still a problem and they need to change. The pharmaceutical companies took government to court at one stage over um, pricing regulations of medicines, uh, which they lost. Uh, and it's true that because, and that does illustrate that the pharmaceutical industry will really defend their profits at the, at the most part. Um, the question about certificates. I'm sure that PHM could produce something like that. 
There was also a question in the chat about manuals of the presentation, so I'll leave that to Tinashe perhaps to reply to about how we can provide community health workers who've been part of this discussion with some documentation. Um, I don't know if, uh, James, you want to add anything? Yeah, th th thanks, Leslie. Yes, I'll respond to some of the points, and there's also something I realized I should touch on as well. Um, so so the, the, the question about, about children uh, raised something for me that I, I didn't point out, which is that vaccines, that, 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 gra that little table I had with all the different vaccine names on it, um, it's called a vaccine schedule. So like you would have your timetable. Vaccines often come in schedules, meaning that they're often not just one dose. So for example, the, the, the uh, Chad Ox, Oxford AstraZeneca one trial that they've been doing in South Africa and in the UK that I volunteered for, it's currently three doses. So it means that they're testing whether two doses or three doses is better, which means that when the vaccine eventually does come out, it might not be a once-off shot. It might be like, like the vaccines in the, uh, for children where they, they come back once or twice just to make sure that the vaccine lasts for a long enough time. Um, other vaccines, something like tetanus, you know, if you cut yourself on a rusty nail or you have a dog bite you, you'll get a tetanus vaccine at, at the clinic. The doctor will give you an injection right then and there. And that vaccine has to be given every 10 to 15 years, um, uh, depending on, on um, certain policies, basically, to make sure that your body doesn't forget that your body's library that it has with a book with all of the different infections it's ever seen and it's got the antibodies ready to go. After a certain number of years, um, uh, you, you often require another vaccine just to update um, the immune system so that it's ready to go and it doesn't forget how to respond. So uh, it might be that with the COVID vaccines, it might be two doses, uh, depending on the different vaccine types. So uh, again, um, so I think that with, 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 with vaccines, we have to be very, very careful in what, what messages are going around. There are lots of messages going around, and it, they actually have a history. There's a long history of what we call anti-vaccine uh, movement or a vaccine denialism, um, which is basically an entire industry. It's a group of people uh, around the world who have been pushing a lot of false fake news around vaccines because of various benefits to them. It's a whole industry, it traces back, or traces back for a long time, a lot of, uh, um, a lot of historical context there, but I mean, even to people like there's a professor in, uh, in, in the United Kingdom named Andrew Wakefield, who uh, published a vaccine study in a very important international scientific journal which he said showed that vaccines cause autism. Autism is a, uh, uh, not a disease, a neurological condition um, that affects some people and can change their personality and learning ability. Um, but it was subsequently found out that he had been paid by the pharmaceutical industry to publish the study and the journal retracted the study and his license was taken away for lying basically to the public for his own gain to get this very published study and to, and to, um, uh, so he'd been paid by anti-vaccine groups, sorry, to, to, to rephrase that. Uh, and so even despite 
being shown to be a fraud, he went on to become a, a, a well-known um, critic of vaccines because of the, the attention and fame that that has got him. And from Andrew Wakefield to other people, there are a large number of people who have a lot of fear about vaccines more than they do about other medicines um, and other things um, in, in their bodies. And a lot of that is because of fake news in an entire industry of, of vaccine denialism. And as the, as the, the second question uh, speaker asked, a very good point that often with this, this fake news, what will happen, so the, the question, the point about the Bill Gates thing, is that something real will be attached to something false. Something that is kind of true in some way will be attached to something that is completely untrue. And the reason that people do it is so that they can get this completely untrue stuff under the radar and get people to believe it. So there might be real criticism of Bill Gates, Melinda Gates. It might be valid criticism that we can have about them. And people don't like certain policies that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has. And so because that might be true, people also accept all of this rubbish about them wanting to put chips into people and, and kill the African population and, and, and things like that. Okay. And with vaccines, all sorts of different things, um, all sorts of different um, things get paired together, um, vaccines being, being one of them. Okay. So we have to look at the real criticism versus false criticism. So the idea that things like vaccines cause autism, vaccines cause cancer, they make you go sterile, you can't have children, uh, all of those things are false news. They're false news. The real criticism that is what we should be concerned about. And it's because of the focus on this one thing that we don't pay attention to what's really important, which is how do we get vaccine companies to lower their prices and not try and make money off of um, lower and, uh, and middle income countries and not try and claim their patents as, as important in the middle of a pandemic. Because they're able to escape criticism at a time like this because the focus is on, um, on fake news around vaccines. The real issues are around lowering the prices, improving access, not just for Western countries, making sure the supply chains are working and the vaccines that we have, we are going to be available um, to everyone. Okay. So we always have to look, I think, at um, who is trying to benefit uh, in, a, in a situation like that. And I think it would be good if anybody here does have questions or these fake news or these stories that they're really unsure about. It's often difficult to figure out that they share in the WhatsApp group and we can, I can respond or, or Tanasha can pass it on to us and we can make sure that we produce counter materials to it. I see Portia's hand. Yes, good day. While we were working at CHWs, we were vaccinated against flu. So several, that was several years ago, the very same year I was vaccinated, I developed bad flu. I tried using over-the-counter meds and didn't help. Ultimately, I went to the clinic and I was given antibiotics. The following year, I had the very same problem. What could have been the cause as I expected not to suffer from flu as I was vaccinated against flu? Thank you. Sure, I'm, I'm happy to take that, Leslie. Uh, um, I think, so, so, Flu is is a, a interesting virus. Flu is a virus, so it's it's not alive. We talked about it, and uh, it's the first point. So you eventually got antibiotics for your flu. It's probably what happened there is that 
because of the flu, you got something called a secondary infection. Your body was weakened by the flu, and then maybe you got some sort of chest infection as well. And the doctor said, I'm going to give you antibiotics as well. But your, your main question was about why could you get flu the next year? Okay, so different, different viruses, different infections have different periods of immunity um, uh, afterwards. So if something like chickenpox, we know generally if you've had chickenpox as a child, you will never have it again. Uh, there's a few random cases, but you'll never have it again. Uh, your immunity is for 50, 60 years plus. With something like the flu, every year the virus itself mutates, it changes a little bit. And so there's different flu strains that are going around at any one time um, around the world. There's often uh, multiple flu strains okay, and uh, like uh, different different um, classes of, of flu. And every year, the World Health Organization, we've talked about, sits all of the vaccine experts, they sit down and they look at the data and they say, okay, type A flu is very common now, type C, whatever, is very common now. That's, we're going to make the vaccine of the year. So they, they basically make a, vac a flu vaccine. When you go and get the flu vaccine, it's a vaccine that's got a mixture of different flu virus uh, vaccines in it based on what the common flu of the season is. But by the time the next year comes around, maybe it's a different type of flu. Type, I mean, I'm making up the, the names now, but now there's a type D and a type E flu, which weren't common in 2019, but maybe they're now common in 2020. And if you don't have the vaccine that has now been made this year, um, let's put all of those things into this uh, into the vaccine, you might not be immune. So the flu is interesting because the flu virus changes and every year the flu vaccine contains a number of vaccines based on what's common here. If, if there are no questions, I have a short uh, video clip from the MSF site, which I think summarizes what we've been discussing. So I can show that. But uh, I think not. I think Portia had a question, but her hand came and went. I don't know if she wants to ask your question. Yes, I still want to ask a question. Like our constitution, constitution section 27 say we have the right to health care. It means we have the right irrespective of our financial position. Then if some vac vaccines will be accessible to those who can afford, then this section 27 needs to be changed. We still have a problem of access to health care. We have a shortage of ambulances and wait approximately five hours to get an ambulance. On weekend, it might not even come. Patent laws will make health medicine not accessible to all. Patent laws are badly affecting us, the poor, as we depend on public health services. Already on the budget, health goods have been decreased. So I'm wondering if this will be budget for, if there will be budget for COVID-19 vaccines. So as the poor will not have the right to access to health medicines. Thank you. You're absolutely right, Portia. So, but don't change the constitution. You've got to change the government to follow the constitution. And that's what our work is about, trying to campaign to mobilize, to make sure government follows its own constitution. Um, so there is some money coming from the Solidarity Fund for the vaccine, but we're going to need a lot more than what they're producing. And the Solidarity Fund is basically big corporations or you know, people donating money. Um, and you're right, you point out that, you know, the same problems with COVID apply to ambulance services, apply to other forms of healthcare. 
So we need a strengthened health system. And if we fix the patent laws, and I've posted the website there, then we can fix uh, some of the problems related to technology, not just for COVID, but for HIV, for TB, for diabetes, for other conditions. And of course, we still need proper funding for supporting our human resources, our health workers, community health workers, everyone. So that is a big challenge for all of us. Um, I should just say that I think if the decision is made that health workers should be vaccinated, uh, I think there's, we're going to have to make sure that community health workers get counted in health workers to be vaccinated. Uh, because as you know, the way PPE was handled, community health workers didn't get the same PPE as other health workers. So um, that must be a big uh, something to monitor, to make sure that if there's a decision to make uh, vaccines available to high risk people at high risk who are in the health sector, community health workers must be first in the queue with everyone else who's first in the queue. Are there any other questions or comments? Um, if not, there's a very short video clip from the MSF site, which I would like to show, if that's okay. Uh, you can go ahead. I mean, all, uh, the, the, there isn't any question that came through. Uh, I'm sure all the ones that I sent you in, uh, in advance have been covered. Please go ahead. Uh, uh, can, I just, can I just look at the list? There was a question about chronic patients being vaccinated. Well, clearly, yes. So, if, in fact, you should be. If you have a, a diabetes, hypertension, or other chronic illness, you, you should be the first to be vaccinated. Yes, we've covered everything else. Sorry, that was the one thing. Okay, so I'm going to share screen again. We're in the middle of an unprecedented global pandemic, and some pharmaceutical corporations appear already gearing up to make huge profits from it. What's wrong with that? Well, if life-saving tests, treatments, and vaccines for the coronavirus are developed, but only the wealthiest can afford them, that means everyone else will have to go without, meaning more people will get sick and die, and it will take much longer to end this pandemic. So, what can be done about it? Well, drug corporations can certainly do something about it. They can commit to not seek nor enforce patents on any medicines for COVID-19. This is important because patents stand in the way of generic, lower-cost versions of the drugs being made. And when only one company produces a drug, that vastly limits the available supply and drives up prices. Now, if Big Pharma won't do the right thing, then governments can do something about it. Governments must stand up to these corporations and override patents or not grant them to begin with. That way, many more people can benefit from needed treatments or vaccines. And we can all do something about it. Please join MSF to demand that corporations not seek nor enforce patents on any tests, treatments, or vaccines for COVID-19. Let's make sure that people all over the world can benefit from life-saving innovations. Doctors Without Borders knows what's at stake. We've seen the impact on sick people in low-income countries of drug companies profiteering. We've seen it happen to our patients with tuberculosis, and certainly with people living with HIV. As MSF, we know what it means to not be able to treat sick people in our care, not because there isn't any treatment, but because the drugs are simply priced out of reach. We can't allow this to happen with COVID-19. Not again. So pharmaceutical corporations and diagnostic companies do the right thing. Don't seek or enforce patents on any tests, treatments, or vaccines for COVID-19. Don't even try profiteering from this pandemic. Because COVID-19 will not be over until it's over for everyone. 
everywhere. Okay, so that was uh, just a short clip to illustrate the importance of challenging patents, and uh, uh, we will uh, make this available the um, recording. Dinasha, then if you want to round off how we take this forward. Yeah, comrades, uh, in terms of certificates, I would urge you all to WhatsApp me your correct name and say name so that we can make the, the, the certificates. Uh, what I'm not sure is the means of distribution and also you need to tell me where you are and then we can send them to you. I'm sure Leslie, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, Annelin, Leslie, James, is this something that we can do within, within PHM? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so we, we do that. Uh, we've got people that we have lost uh, during, because of the weather and Gauteng and electricity in, in the, in the Pampristad, I'm not sure whether we should include them and so forth, but we're going to discuss this further and then see how we can do this. Uh, thank you so much for, 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 for your participation comrades. I'm not sure if there's any other outstanding questions. Uh, otherwise we, we're going to call it a day. We need to close and we continue uh, the discussions on WhatsApp.